Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. And in the last year and a half, I've started a new business all around helping women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my new company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Dr. Deanna Minnick, to our show today. Deanna is an internationally recognized health expert, scientist, researcher, and author with more than 20 years of experience in nutrition, mind-body health, and functional medicine. Deanna does a great job merging nutrition, modern science, spiritual practices, and her own clinical experience when it comes to healing and wellness. She's authored six books on health and wellness and over 40 scientific publications. Currently, she is the Vice President of Scientific Affairs for Organic India USA and on the Board of Directors for the American Nutrition Association. We'll talk to Deanna about her hormonal struggles and how she overcame her PMS, which turned into endometriosis, anxiety, depression, and IBS. It was from her own health journey she realized the importance of nutrition, mind, body, and spirit, and how everything is interconnected. We also chat about our relationship between food and mood and how your thoughts and mindset can directly impact our health and so much more. Welcome to the show, Dr. Minnick. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is so exciting. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Same. I know there's so much that I would love to talk to you about today around all things wellness. And I thought it'd be a great idea to start to get your insights in the world of wellness. You know, there's so many opinions around what we should and shouldn't be prioritizing in our life. And, you know, as someone who looks at health through a whole body lens, what do you feel are one of the most underrated pillars, especially when it comes to women's health? I'm going to go with more of an intuitive response on this. And one of the things for women's health, I think about our rhythms. I think about our cycles, whether we are actively menstruating or we're not, we're still keyed into cycles. And one of the things that I see in the scientific literature that's emerging, but I wouldn't even have anything that's very prescriptive or therapeutic, is how our nutrient levels are changing throughout the month and how they seem to track with our hormone levels. And this is something that's very unique to women, I think. We have more of these connections to cycles than I think men do. I think men still are also can be very cyclical. Of course, the diurnal rhythm and, you know, they're not exempt from hormones in those cycles and they go through andropause just like women go through menopause. But I do think that we have a connection here to rhythms, rhythms that run us. I think that's really beautiful. And that actually takes me to, and, you know, we'll talk all about hormones and how we should be living our life. But, you know, you've also had your own fair share of hormonal struggles. So I'm curious how your own personal journey has really influenced the way you talk about health and teach others about health. Actually, that's very astute of you because you're right. That is my perspective. In fact, I was just talking with a friend last night because I just had my hormone levels tested. So I'm almost 51. I'm about to turn 51. And my progesterone levels are sky high. My testosterone levels are sky high. But my estrogen is about normal for a perimenopausal woman. So I find that very intriguing because that's not normally the case to have progesterone be high. I don't take any creams. I don't take any oral supplementation of any kind of progesterone or progesterone lookalikes. I don't know. I've always been very curious about hormones because They're in such small amounts in our body, like picogram amounts, and yet they run our behavior. They drive our choices. They make our gender. They change our appetite. So as far as my story, aside from the present day of where I'm at now with a lot of shift in my own hormones being the age I am, when I was younger, I really struggled with hormone balance. And I have a family history of hormonal issues, specifically endometriosis. There was breast cancer, bone cancer in the female line of my dad's family. And I took on a lot of those genes, I think. Mm. So as a teenager, I was already struggling with my periods, 
lots of pain. I mean, to the point it wasn't just like a little bit doubled over. I was vomiting. I was, I had headaches. I would have to go to the school nurse and just hang out there. I needed to take, well, at the time I didn't know as much about nutrition. So I needed to rely on OTCs. I had ultimately endometriosis was a diagnosis. And then I even at some point because of the endometriosis and all of the adhesions and the stickiness. And, you know, I think of leaky gut now, how I probably had that when I was a teenager and how that connects to leaky ovaries, leaky uterus. I mean, it's also connected, right? I developed a lot of different issues that was kind of like a gut reproductive access, right? And so I do think that if I would have healed my gut, been more in tune with my food, I could have probably remedied and not had such a worsening of those those types of things. But you know what? I think everything in some way is taking us on a journey. And hormones have taught me a lot about the feminine within us and the masculine within us and how we embody both of those things. And me as a female scientist, I've always kind of wrestled with it beyond just the physiology, also the psychology. Like as a woman, do I need to be more tough because I'm in science and I have to defend myself all the time? I'm always having to prove my case. So it kind of leads to a certain psychological persona when you are in certain disciplines and those disciplines may have the energy of something more masculine Mm. being a woman within that right and again not to say that anything is distinctly feminine or masculine I talk about those very loosely in terms of the energy or the symbolism and looking at hormones and how those things are connected in Yeah. And I think a lot of what you're saying even resonates with me on twofold. You know, even my upbringing, I had horrible, horrible periods growing up and I had no idea why. And to your point, you know, it must have been the way I was eating. You know, I was having a high sugar diet, which I know anytime I have sugar during my period, it makes it much worse. It's tough because even at that point, I was put on birth control. You were saying you were taking over the counter medicine and it masked my own symptoms for years. It wasn't until three, four years ago I got off birth control started really getting to the root cause of how can I fix my hormones? And, you know, I learned about food. Kay and I created a company around it, Bia, right? Because there's so much information and hearing about your journey and really healing your endometriosis and your own hormones at the time, I think is really powerful. And I'd love to also hear you talk a lot, which I love about if we eat colorfully, we live colorfully. And I'd love to just hear how you even delved into the world of color? Because I know that was also part of your healing journey earlier in your life as well. It was more out of a point of desperation in my life, you know, really feeling kind of depressed, having the weight of the world on my shoulders. And I think as women, we get to those points and maybe it's hormonal too. Maybe our life circumstances drives our hormones. Maybe our hormones drive how we respond to our life circumstances, right? So there, there have been periodic times throughout my life that I felt more vulnerable to these things. And during one of them, especially in my 20s, as I was finishing my PhD, lots of stress, I had this thing with color and I I just started painting. And it wasn't like I was trained in, in art or painting. I just, I was so stressed out that I was like, I need to just get away from it all. So I just bought a big roll of paper, started painting. I remember the first thing that I painted, it was a, a big amoeba-like shape with red and yellow and black. And I put it on my wall. I stared at it. I looked at it every day. And there was something really healing about making art and connecting into that color. I only wanted vivid colors. I didn't want any pastel, muted colors. It had to be bright. It was almost like that color was feeding me at a level that maybe a meal would feed me at a body level. The color was feeding me at more of a soul level. So from that point forward, and it was no accident because my master's thesis was on carotenoids and carotenoids are plant pigments, plant compounds. They're what make food pretty. So I was already, I would say, indoctrinated into, okay, food has colors that are medicinal. Maybe color in our environment is also healing. Maybe color is medicine. You know, we hear so much about food is medicine and you know, I think food is a lot of things, just like color is a lot of things. And so it became a core staple of my own healing journey. And in fact, I'm curious what your favorite color is, because the color I had resistance to, I actually had resistance yeah. to two colors, orange and pink. You would never catch me wearing pink. 
and you would not catch me wearing orange. And so, but after that initial painting, I began painting more with those colors. And it got to the point that in my 30s, I continued to paint. And when I met my now husband, Mark, Mark would say, Deanna, don't you notice that you're painting like your ovaries and uterus over and over again? And it was these melon, fleshy, pink colored images that were big spirals. <laughs> He's like, yeah, really? you're painting your body parts. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know how sometimes like you're so enmeshed with something like you can't even see out of it? Yes. I didn't even see that myself. And so once Mark said that to me, I went gung-ho and I started to deliberately, intentionally paint more of my feminine self. And in so doing, I think I really got out of that stuck groove with my reproductive tract. So I, and I can't even say that art healed me because I never want to give somebody the message that, you know, you just paint down a couple of canvases and you're going to be better. I was doing a lot of different things, but I think that was the last thing that really turned the key. You know how sometimes there's just like, even though you're doing a bunch of things, there can be one thing that just like turns that dial for you a little bit more. And I don't think I was expressing emotions in the fullest way. And some emotions aren't always expressed through words. I needed to express them yeah. through color and through shape and through nonverbal communication. Yeah. And I think that's so powerful because, you know, like you just mentioned, emotions can be bottled up within us and we all have different avenues of releasing them. You know, some people like you, you are drawing, you're releasing them in that way. I'm someone that I historically have always kept that in. And I think a lot of my hormonal imbalances, similarly, I think were held in because of the stress I was in, the type of environment I was in. I was working in a very masculine environment where I just had to be a certain way to perform at a high level. And I was not connected to my body. I was not connected to my emotions. And as I'm now unwinding that and really being in tune with my body, it's been game changing. So I, I, I love hearing stories like yours. And that's why you know I want to share that with people listening on the podcast, because I think having an outlet, whether it's releasing your emotions or also releasing stress, stress, I think is really important in our overall health. I know one thing that you also talk about is, which I love, is how much of our thoughts really impact our health, right? I mean, you've referenced so many different research reports about this, but I'd love to get your perspective on that because I think a lot of women listening, you know, we've all gone through a really tough year juggling a bunch of things, being in this new environment. So stress is quite high for a lot of people, but would love to get your viewpoints on just really how our thoughts can directly impact our overall health. Well, if thoughts weren't important, we wouldn't have placebos in clinical trials, right? Yes. <laughs> it's been so, so important for the field of science to have a placebo because of the power of the mind. We're controlling for the power of the mind. And we see a lot of the research on psychoneuroimmunology. So psycho, the mind, neuro, neurology, immunology, and endocrinology. It's like all connected. And, and it's being recognized as a discipline onto itself. So we know that mind-body medicine is a real thing. It's not just living out there in the ethers. There are journals on psychosomatic medicine, right? So this is something that has been grounded, and I would say for decades now, like that your thoughts are very powerful. So what you think becomes how you act. And ultimately, the cumulative aspect of that is your behavior, right? So there's so much talk about behavior change and lifestyle medicine. But we're, sometimes what we're not driving at is the root cause of why we have certain behaviors. It's just talked about like, oh, motivation or, you know, there's a trigger there. But what about going deeper into the root cause of like, how did we get to be thinking about our lives in a certain way? And like, how do you actually extract those thoughts and look at them almost like weeds in a garden? Like if our mind was a garden, we have to. And I, I talk about this. Uh, how can we extract and be looking at our thoughts as if they were intentional medicine or harm. And I'm not perfect with this. I mean, even on my desk right now, I have a, an affirmation card to bring me back to center, right? And like today I had a challenging situation and I, I just got back to my center and I just remembered that, okay, Deanna, shift your thinking, cancel reset, just like a computer, change your brain because your brain is like a processing unit, right? So it works in a more computerized fashion, in my opinion. You know, there's a body which is a little bit different in its function. So I was like, okay, I've got this difficult situation. What is it teaching me? 
Remember, I'm here to learn. Like my soul is growing. I'm not perfect in this, but I do think that having awareness of it can bring us back to center faster, potentially. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness, and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long-term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds, freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening. And now let's get back to the show. I love it. I know you've mentioned, you know, so many of us will look at food labels and the calories, but we're not taking track on our own thoughts and labeling those. And I think it's so true. When you said that, it really hit me. It's like, we're so thoughtful about different other aspects of our lives. But when it comes to our thoughts, just having that awareness is so important. And it's something that I'm learning, you know, I'm uncovering, I'm working with a coach, actually, and I had so many blind spots. And now I'm becoming more aware. It's like a continuous path for me of learning. But to your point, I mean, if we can take care of our thoughts and really get inventory and be able to shift it in a more positive way, like there's so much beautiful impact that it could have on our bodies. And how about looking at your patients, any cases that you can bring up just to kind of highlight how important thought is in our overall health? So there was somebody who I had worked with some time ago, but she does stick out in my mind. And she was very inflamed. She had a number of different conditions, more autoimmune and just very reactive. So one of the things that we worked on with her was, okay, well, let's look at your genes because there could be certain things that just constitutionally are upregulated in you as a person, like it's beyond your control, right? You might have some influence, but there might be some inclination that your body has. So with her, she was constantly inflamed, no matter what we did supplementally, or from a diet perspective, she would really react, she would get rashes or, you know, just a lot of reactivity. And so with her, We did do her genes. We found that she had certain SNPs or gene variants that upregulated her body towards inflammation. 
And here's what happened. I think that once she figured out that, oh, it's not her doing it to herself all the time. I mean, not to say that your genes aren't yourself, but it was almost like it alleviated a lot of pressure from her in terms of feeling like she was doing something wrong. I think that here, here's what I think happens when we get sick, we think that we're doing something wrong. And I do think that the health field out there, even within functional medicine, there's a kind of this thing of like, well, if you're doing everything right, you'll never get cancer. If you're doing everything right, you're never going to have heart disease. I think we have to give ourselves a break. I think that a lot of the the stress to be healthy, the stress to be perfect creates a certain thought pattern that may yeah. only bring us more into that sphere of worry and feeling like we beat ourselves up. So once this woman realized that, okay, it's out of my control, you know, locus of control is so important for people to realize that, hey, there are certain things we can control. There are certain things that we can't. So it's just our response to them. That's what we can manage in terms of our thoughts, actions, behaviors. So I I think we need to be really conscientious in the health field because especially for women, there's a lot of pressure on the physical. And then there's kind of like this emotional aspect that women, sometimes it's used against us that, oh, women are so emotional. And then we have the mental world, which some of us live within our own minds of like feeling like we're, we're on an island. We have these self-deprecating thoughts that kind of keep us within that space. And then that riles up our emotions, right? And then that translates ultimately into our bodies. I think if we can ratchet ourselves up above all of that and say like, okay, what is my soul about? What am I here for? One of the things in the literature I'm fascinated with is purpose and meaning. Mm. And I know you and even Drew, different people have talked about this. And I think it's big. It's underestimated. I do think that our sense of purpose and meaning drive us into a whole other sphere of acceptance, integration, and connection with ourselves and with others. I had a spiritual teacher tell me once, she's like, Deanna, whenever you're feeling like you're becoming overwhelmed, she's like, ratchet up, ratchet up. Imagine yourself looking down at yourself and saying, wait a minute. What is this all about? Get out of the minutia and realize that you have a bigger mission here and connect with your sense of meaning and purpose. And some people may not feel a sense of meaning and purpose, right? So you start small. It's like, okay, what am I about? I know that for me personally, it's like, I'm about service. I notice that I'm happiest when I'm serving others, not to the point of people pleasing. Sometimes it can get over into that pathological, more dysfunctional side, but when I'm serving, it's like I'm happy. So I'm not a person that does well with just being bored and going on vacation all the time. I just want to be revved and like doing something for others. Like I feel like it gives me that sense of juice and purpose in a a good, healthy way. Yeah. Connecting with that, I think is really essential. I think that's really key because like you said, I mean, there's so many of us who were judgmental of ourselves. We have really tough thoughts about ourselves and you know, I think it's also learning to have compassion around your thoughts, having the awareness. And to your point, if you have this bigger purpose and mission, you know, and for years I was searching for that. So like you said, you might not necessarily be doing it in your day-to-day job, but one example that really helped me before I started this podcast, which is an element of my mission and the biz- my business, is, you know, I would host these dinners and get incredible women together, women from all walks of life. And that would just give me so much energy and passion, right? And just remind me that kind of like your spiritual teacher, like to go above the weeds and remind yourself why you're here, what gets you excited. Even starting small is so key. And that fueled me for years and eventually turned into this podcast, which is my natural energy flowing, you know, which I love so much. So I think that's a really great point. And, you know, you mentioned there's literature around purpose and meaning. I'd love for you to just explain a little bit more about what you see there, because I think it's so fascinating. What I recall, and I don't have like specific studies at like the tip of my tongue, but basically people who have a sense of purpose tend to live longer and have a better quality of life is what my takeaway has been. So even if I think of Dan Buettner's work on the blue zones, there were about nine criteria that determined what were the factors that helped people to live the longest or what were the associations. And of course, there were a bunch of food ones, but one of them was a sense of purpose. And I don't think we talk about this enough. And if there was a dietary supplement that gave somebody a yes. sense of purpose, that's the only dietary supplement you would ever need. Yes. <laughs> and that's only if you weren't feeling like you were connected to your sense of purpose. 
I do think that purpose drives everything else. And so one of my operating systems is looking at the chakra system, right, which comes from India, kind of looking at like the seven main centers, which connect to physical, but then also more of a symbolic. And the crown chakra is connected to that sense of spirit, purpose and mission. And I often think many of us are so busy trying to focus on survival that we don't take ourselves up into that terrain of how did I get here? Why am I here? Or sometimes we we belabor that a little bit too much and we guilt ourselves over not knowing that. Like some people have said to me, they're saying, Deanna, how did you know that you wanted to be a scientist from a year, very young age? Like, because I, I did have a sense of what I wanted to be. Like when people asked me at the age of seven, I kind of knew. I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to be this. Or I knew I was going into like science, healing, medicine. There was something like that. And I was going to be a writer. I remember telling people I'm going to be a journalist and a nun. And I wanted to be a nun too. Like I wanted all of these things, science, journalism, and a nun. I grew up Catholic. So that was who I had as teachers. <laughs> so I think I also wanted to teach. So that was always very consistent. Whereas other people I know, like sometimes they have a more diverse path. I even look at my husband who came into his profession of an acupuncturist much later in life. Like he did a bunch of things, but that that's a beautiful purpose as well, because not everybody has that solo highway trajectory. Some people have a windy path, which is great because one little offshoot takes you into the next offshoot takes you. So it's not like you have to be driven in such a way. And it has to look in a certain formulaic way for you to have a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, purpose could be being there for your kids, it could be being there for your parents, your family, it could be being there for your community, being there for the mission of nutrition. You know, you're a business person. You know that every business starts off with a mission and a vision. Yep. Right? And like exactly. you start from that place. So like actually you're starting from a very high place with any business endeavor. It's like what is the the bigger calling, right? Yeah. And I love how you mentioned, you know, I wish I was like you where I knew early in my life exactly what I wanted to be. I knew I wanted to start a business, but never really knew what it was. And to your point, and I want to bring this up because I feel like sometimes women feel like they can't do these career shifts. But, you know, I was in banking, then I was in tech, then I worked at another business. And then 12 years later, I'm now starting my own business and got into the world of podcasting. But it all kind of came around together. And the way I found my mission was through all those experiences. It was, I wasn't seeing enough women in the rooms in finance and then in tech. Mm -hmm. And I was like, where are the leaders? I know there's amazing women out there. So it inspired the podcast. And also when I went down the world of health, it was the conversation around why aren't more women being educated around food and ways that they can shift their nutrition and lifestyle to empower themselves. So to your point, you know, you might not know what your exact purpose is, but as you try different things, I always tell people like, try different things. It could be a new job. It could be something you do on the side. Like you never know where the dots will connect. So it's great to even see from your background, you have a pretty diverse experience and you're able to bring that in the world of health, which I think there's not a lot of people doing that, Deanna. So it's also inspiring to see that in your life. And, you know, shifting gears a little bit, because I'd love to get your perspective on this as well, is you talk also a lot about how food can impact your mood. So I'd love to get your perspective. You know, what is important for women to understand when it comes to the connection of food and mood? So this was a new connection for me. I began monitoring the literature on fruits and vegetables. So I get scientific article alerts on a daily basis. So I'm often just looking at the literature on fruits and vegetables, phytochemicals, phytonutrients, plant-based eating. And one of the things that I saw coming through some years ago were studies on foods and emotions. So certain foods creating or at least being associated with certain mood states. And that was always really intriguing to me because I do think that the intersection between mood and food is one that needs a lot more definition. And and some people will eat better, not because they're thinking, oh, I'm reducing the risk for chronic disease, but because they are thinking like, oh, I could be less depressed. I could be less anxious. There was just a study, I think it was this week or last week that came out showing that eating fruits and vegetables was associated with less risk of suicidal ideation, which is great, big, huge, great, big, huge. If you think of where we're at now with mental health on everybody's radar, with so many people in a slump and really feeling 
like in this dire state of really just like they can't get out, uh, they can't get motivated. I'm seeing that a lot of people just aren't motivated. They're like down. And, and so to think that how we eat can actually change how we feel, which will then change how we eat, which will then change how we feel. It becomes a self-perpetuating cycle. So the question becomes, where can we just jump onto that cycle and just start riding that? It's almost like, you know, being on a healthy treadmill of, of choices, right? Because the moment we step off and it, when we start to engage in brown, yellow, and white, high inflammatory, high aging foods, I mean, eating inflammatory foods, how could we think that that would be life promoting, right? It's just going to lead to more reactivity and inflammation in a psychological sense in our bodies. So the net of all of this is, is that the science is catching up and we are seeing that some substantial research is being done showing that how you eat in terms of fruits and vegetables and more of plant-based eating is now being associated with things like creativity, curiosity, well-being, and overall like a state of flourishing is what it has also been defined as in, in different mood states, of course, like depression and anxiety, like I mentioned. And if you're depressed or anxious, do you think that your sleep is any good? No. So then it goes into this whole cycle of how that mood state determines your overall, it becomes the cloud on your life, right? It yes. rains on everything. So if we can clear up the rain, clear up the clouds, then it's like, oh, we get clarity on so many things. And I've seen that happen over and over when people start changing their food. When you change your food, you change your life. And when you change yes. your life, you're going to change your food, right? So it's powerful. It's very powerful, that interconnection. Yeah. I mean, you even just saying that, you know, not eating well, going out, having pizza, a glass of wine, you know, you're at least for me, my sleep is impacted. I don't feel as energized or motivated during the day. And I feel like as an entrepreneur, you are dealing with the unknown every single minute. And I feel my anxiety is more heightened than those days where I'm eating well, I'm sleeping well. And I feel like I just have more resilience in life to show up and perform. So I think, you know, you also mentioned in another interview is like, sometimes people don't even know what it feels like to feel good. And you need to feel good to realize like, oh my goodness, how did I live like that? And I feel like I'm now at that point and I want to enlighten more people, but it's true right? Like sometimes you don't even know you're in a subpar state until you change your diet for some amount of time and see the difference. Yes, a hundred percent. And thank you for recalling that quote. And I think I probably took that from somebody else too, just hearing that through and just seeing that with people. Like yeah, you'd yeah. see people that it was like they would come out of the fog of their own. And I've even seen this. So let me give you an example with my dad. My mom yeah. is super healthy rock solid. She's kind of a health, she was a health nut in the 1970s. So there's no rocking her in terms of like, but my, for my dad, he was kind of a junk food dad, you know, like <laughs> my mom was the ultimate in terms of like making great choices. She didn't even let us cook in a microwave. And this is like the 1980s. Wow. She was so strict. Whereas my dad would be sneaking cookies and, you know, he doesn't, fortunately, he doesn't have any health issues that are severe. But he actually has been a great teacher for me, too, because I think I could go the extreme of my mom and become more orthorexic in the way of, oh, my gosh, I just had this. What can happen? Like the stress that can be brought on by thinking of having to live a healthy lifestyle and what that means and then thinking, like, did I do something wrong? I'm just going to be honest with you about this. My upbringing, my dad was a police officer and I grew up Catholic. So I had from multiple angles, this feeling of restriction, this feeling of being, having a lot of just strict behavior yeah. and rules were everywhere. So to me, life was a rule and eating was another area of rules and I can only eat certain things, right? So my dad being a little bit on the side of all of that, he kind of showed me like the fun part of life. My dad was always the life of the party. He still is. He's like the life of the party guy doesn't always eat on plan, but you know what? He has a great mental attitude. And sometimes I think that that provides a buffer for when he's not eating so well. Like he, he had his hip replaced and he, he said before he went into the surgery, he's like, I'm not going to have physical therapy. I'm not going to have physical, but I, I just, I'm going to set my mind to it. And he didn't. <laughs> he was completely fine. He recovered. And, you know, it's not even like he stays 100% on plan with, eating how my mom would like him to. But I, I love the fact that my dad is a different kind of teacher in the way of health of like, 
bringing in the playful spirit of enjoying life. And I think sometimes when we put ourselves in all these boxes, oh, I'm following a certain diet. I only do this between these hours. Life can get to be too rigid and stuck and we get into a rut. And I think that the essence of being feminine is flow. And if we forget our flow, then we become all like rigid, stuck in mind and in body. We might start having symptoms. I think that flowing, my dad always had this phrase. I don't know where he got it from, but he said, when you stop moving, you start dying. And he meant it more physically too. Like you've got to stay on the run, on the ball. He was always very active. Like sometimes he would just like take off in the car and just go for a drive just to get moving. (laughs) So anyway, I I do think that there is, I know that we're talking about food and mood here and I'm kind of having a peripheral conversation as it relates to mood. I, I just don't want people listening to whittle themselves into this box of, oh, I need to eat perfectly all the time in order to have this perfect mood, in order to have this perfect body, this perfect life. You know, there is a point of like going beyond the lines, making those dashed or dotted lines more than like a box, more than a box. And in fact, I just made a post today on social media in a group. And I was talking about an intuitive healer that I had been to recently. And she had mentioned about my heart. She's like, Deanna, you have a big heart. You just have to be careful that imagine like a circle around your heart, but that it's flowing. Don't imagine a a line. Because people get nervous and fearful with lines like, oh my gosh, if I cross this boundary, if I don't do this this way, and she's like, create flow around the heart. And I just thought it was really beautiful. It's just a concept to bring ourselves back to. Yeah. And for you know our listeners, I completely agree with everything you said. Can you expand a little bit more on what do you mean by flow? And like, why is that so important for women? So let's break it out into physical. What is physical flow? Yeah, it could be water. It's the water element. So it's taking in water, being hydrated. I've got water on my table. Which is so important. (laughs) Yes. Taking baths, hot baths. And then also just physical movement in terms of like walking and moving, whether it's with weights or if it's walking in the neighborhood. So there's a physical movement. Then there's an emotional movement and flow, right? Emotions. E is the energy, like we learn in the physics class, energy and motion. That's what emotions are. And if we're not expressing and moving them and flowing with them, they get stuck. They get stuck somewhere, whether into a mental pattern, into a bodily symptom, there's something there. And then I think mentally we need flow in terms of thinking how we're thinking. Sometimes we become a little bit too stuck in our own thoughts. We need to get out of our own way. It's been estimated, and I forget where I'm getting this from, but I remember a statistic that most, the majority of our thoughts are not new. They're repetitive thoughts. And then the majority of those thoughts, like a very high percent, like 80 to 90% are negative thoughts. And we just keep recycling them, right? So how do we flow up and out of that and just like think a new thought? And then I think that there's spiritual flow. And spirit to me, again, is the sum of all of those pieces, the physical, emotional, mental, but it's more. It's like, again, it's back to purpose and meaning, which is how it's defined in functional medicine at the heart of the matrix there. You know, we talk about that. So like flowing with life, flowing Mm -hmm. with purpose, flowing with who you are, flowing with the sense of connection. So I do think, and even in the science terms, if we think of the body, there's literature on neuronal plasticity, which is the brain flow. Then there's the literature on the heart flow, which is heart rate variability. And then there's even discussion about the gut connecting to metabolic flexibility. All Mm. of these concepts are threaded together by the, the underlying bedrock of flow. As a metaphor, we can take that in into many different arenas in terms of how we interpret it. Yeah, no, I mean, that's beautiful and so eloquently said. And I love the idea of not being so rigid on rules because like you said, health, especially having all these health and wellness conversations, it could feel very overwhelming. Like, oh, I need to not do this. I need to not eat this. And so many people ask us, my husband is also in health and wellness. They're like, what do you guys eat? Do you not eat sugar? Do you not do this? And honestly, we live a pretty balanced life. There's no 
rules. Like, are we having chocolate every single day? No. But if we're out and we're enjoying ourselves, we'll go for that ice cream. Like there's not a, I think it's all about balance and flow, like you said, and how you kind of live this healthy lifestyle. And, you know, a lot of it is mental and how you feel about it. Are there any favorite foods that you enjoy that you have seen help impact someone's mood? Yes. Well, first of all, Dr. Drew Ramsey has published quite extensively in the scientific literature on this. So Dr. Lachance, Dr. Ramsey, Dr. Naidu, you know, there's some people who are like nutritional psychiatrists who are really good at that. And I would even say that the field of nutrition as it relates to humans was one of the first areas and disciplines that there was an acknowledgement of the role of nutrients was in psychiatry. Because if you look at the biochemical pathways in order to get dopamine you know, certain nutrients, certain neurotransmitters required certain nutrients. So there was an acknowledgement of that. So in short, I would say in terms of food, the color class that I designate to food and mood balance is blue purple. And it happens to be the color that most people aren't eating enough of. So there was a survey back in 2009 by Neutralite that talked about how the people that they had surveyed, that the majority, 88% of them, did not fill their daily quota of blue-purple foods. And blue-purple foods contain certain phytonutrients that do play a role in mood, memory, learning, the mind, the brain. They actually travel to certain parts of the brain to have a role in those functions. So things like blueberries, and I hit some raisins today. So the blue-purple is the one that I usually have to like consciously make sure I'm getting. Purple potatoes. Purple, and I try to, so I live in the Pacific Northwest, and we get a lot of access here, fortunately, to purple varieties of foods that might be normally green or orange, like we get purple carrots, we get purple kale, purple Brussels sprouts even, which I think- Oh, are wow. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes, it's like getting two things for the price of one, right? Because like normally, you're just getting green. So there's the blue-purple category, which I think is important. The second category that's important is the green category. And the green part, I, I think of the heart. Anytime we open the circulation through nitrates or folates, you know, keeping our circulatory system in balance, we change the flow to the brain. So our thinking, our mood, things will be moving better through us. So the heart and brain are very connected. And I would even follow on with the gut, things that are higher in fiber are going to move. I mean, we know how cranky we feel when we're constipated. I mean, it's just a yeah. fact, right? If you don't yeah. have a bowel movement, let's just say you're traveling, you have to check yeah. that just came out. I need to send it to you because it's from Garden of Life for their probiotic. And they talk about women talk about pooping, just how it's a basic function. And I'm so glad that people can talk about something like this, right? I like to talk about the things that people don't like to talk about. Yeah like women's bodies or pooping or even death. I think a lot of these, they're just part of life, right? So, but anyway, I think fiber, anything that's high in fiber is going to help us with mood ultimately because we're going to be moving through the gut. So that could be anything from black beans to psyllium to so many different things. So I would say those three classes yeah. would be what I would be thinking about with relationship to mood specifically. And yeah. even like nuts and seeds and good healthy fats. I could go nonstop on this, but those are kind of like top tier. <laughs> no, for sure. And it's game changing. I mean, we just had a whole hour podcast with Dr. Mary Pardee around your gut and bowel movements and pooping. Oh, Why it's important, right? It's, it's game changing in your overall wellness. And I think it was like the stats were something around over 70% of your immune system is in your gut, which is yeah. mind boggling. I had no idea. But also what's something interesting you talk about is a color orange. You know, as women listening, I'd love to get your perspective on that because I thought that was very cool, just how it's linked to the reproductive cycle of a woman's body, right? Yes, yes, yes. So in one of my scientific papers, I talk about the color code of foods, how each of the color classes of foods is connected to a certain body system. For orange, that would connect to the carotenoids or the family of different colorful compounds. And what you find there typically, and again, this is more of like a clustering or looking at the pattern of literature. It's not like an absolute hard line definition. It's like dashed lines, like a cloud of collection of data. So what you see there, and it was really interesting. I'll just relay quickly two studies that I thought they might pique people's interest. One of them was looking at women who had a lower risk for endometriosis. 
showing that in these women, now this is an association, so it's not causal, but it's kind of like, okay, for women that had lower risk compared to those that did have endometriosis, what were they doing? What were they eating? They found that these women tended to eat more citrus fruits. Twenty, They had, yes, they had a lower risk. And of the citrus fruits, what they found, the marker compound that seemed to be somewhat responsible for this effect was something called beta-cryptoxanthin. And beta-cryptoxanthin yeah. is one of the carotenoids that's found in orange fruits. <laughs> so there's that. And so I'm always thinking, in fact, that's why I bring in persimmons. I bring in just this week, I, last week, I had a persimmon because they were in season. So I thought, oh, not everybody likes tangerines or persimmons, mangoes, you know, these types of foods, but they're so rich in these important carotenoids for women. In fact, in the ovary, you actually get a collection of, I think in one paper, it was up to like 14 different carotenoids. So who would have thought that we actually store these pigments in the ovary, and they seem to play a role in ovulation. So if you're not eating orange, you're not eating these colors, you don't get that complex array of carotenoids to drive that that process of development of the ovum. And then another study real quick, and this is for women later in life, you can help to preserve the vitality and the integrity of your ovaries and reduce ovarian decline with there was an association again, so this is not causal, but looking at like, okay, for women that have greater vitality and don't go into menopause until later, what are they doing? So it was orange fruits. Orange fruits Mm -hmm. had the possibility and the connection with delaying ovarian senescence or kind of the decay that happens. So because eventually our ovaries start to get smaller and smaller and they kind of atrophy, keeping them alive and active with those orange fruits. (laughs) All of the ones that are high in beta-cryptoxanthin, beta-carotene, so good for us. And it's good for the skin as well. A lot of those carotenoids like places in the body that are fatty, which is why if we start to eat a lot of carrots or have carrot juice, you know, we might notice a tinge to our skin. My mom, because she was such a health nut, she did that several times and she would become like an Oompa Loompa, you know, from Willy Wonka, like the orange, (laughs) the orange color which eventually subsides. It's not necessarily <laughs> dangerous, but it will add a hue to the, to the skin and it's protective for the skin for, for some people. Yeah. And one thing I'd want to close on for this interview is the importance of having a variety of foods, right? You talk about how so many people get into this food rut and eat the same thing consistently. And I'm raising my hand because every Sunday, you know, I'll get the same exact food orders from my grocery store and just plan it for the week. But I love the way you talk about the importance of variety. And I would love for you to just share your perspective around that. I would say that if people walk away from this interview with three things, I would like it to be color, creativity, and variety. Maybe instead of creativity per se, like flow, right? We can kind of think of those as synonyms. So with variety, what I have found is like people get, like you just said, you've done your homework. Wow. You know a lot about what I've said. (laughs) This is one of my biggest teaching principles, especially when people have restrictive diets or they're eating, you know, they feel safe with certain foods. They don't venture out. And just like I say that how you eat is how you live and how you live is how you eat and how eating colorful foods leads to colorful moods. I would also say that if we are eating a varied diet, we are chance, chances are we're living a varied life, a creative life, right? But if we're making the same choices every day because our eating is connected to our life, and if those choices aren't varying and they're the same, you can imagine that our life is probably also at that point of stagnation. So when people want to shake up, they need a little bit more change or they're looking for like the next step in their life. I often say, when was the last time you tried a new food? Yeah. <laughs> what was the food that you haven't had in a while? Like I mentioned persimmon a little while ago. Maybe some of your listeners are thinking, oh my gosh, what is, what is a persimmon? You know, so just get curious. Curiosity can lead us into that sense of wonder and awe and exploration. And that comes through variety. If we can introduce variety, variety of people, variety of ways that we take to work, variety of our day. I like to rearrange things in my house every once in a while, just to kind of like shake it up because it's like my neurons are in the same groove. I need to jump out of that. (laughs) Drink from a different glass, you know, (laughs) 
This is why, too, I'm not brand loyal. I love to try out different personal care products or different supplements or, you know, people are always asking, Deanna, what's your favorite brand? And I always say, I don't shop for brand. I shop for principles, meaning that I'd rather teach you how to fish metaphorically in terms of like things to look for, ingredients to avoid, than say, oh, just buy this one brand name because the brand can always change, but the principles stay the same. Right. So to create variety amongst our choices with some underlying principles to guide you, I think might be nice. Yeah, I love that. I mean, just hearing you say that, I I was chuckling because when I was prepping for this, I always wear black all the time. I like lived in New York for a few years ever. I haven't changed since. Right. And so I was like, I need more color in my life. I barely wear any color. (laughs) I'm wearing just cream right now. But yeah, I think it's so important to mix things up. And I never thought about food. You don't even think about it. So many of us just eat the same things and we don't mix it up. And I think that's just one way to create more creativity and flow in our life and more excitement, which I feel like a lot of us sometimes are missing because we're so stuck in our day-to-day of just work and life. So I so appreciate that, Deanna. And before we close, I actually, I know it's funny, you were just saying, I don't really like to give specific brands, but I know as someone who works at Organic India, you know, you're an advisor there. We have every single tea from you guys in our kitchen. What's your favorite one? Because everything is so amazing. Like we have so many there. Yeah. I love the Tulsi Sweet Rose. You know, it's so funny because that's the one tea that's in pink. It's a pink box, but I've actually been to India this year and I was in the fields where the women were picking the rose petals. And so Mm -hmm. I have a different affinity and connection to that tea now than I did like just months ago before I went to India. And one of the things I learned about roses is that the kind of roses that we have here, you know, like the big, fluffy, multi-petaled rose, that's not the natural form of rose. It's a modified rose. In the field, in the wilds, where these women were harvesting the rose petals, the roses are very small. As a result of being small, they're very intensely aromatic and flavored. And I feel like rose is a very spiritual Like there's something really divine about rose. So if I'm drinking it and like taking it in or I'm using rose oil in some way, like an essential oil, for me, that's definitely an aroma or yeah, a scent that I connect to. Now, it's not for everybody. Some people can't stand rose. So that wouldn't be your tea, but I do. I like that one. That one. No, it's actually one of my favorites too. My mom introduced me to that, but the Tulsi sweet rose and it's pink. That's good to know. So I'm doing, (laughs) I love it. All the benefits around the color, but Deanna, thank you so much for joining us. We could have talked about so many different things, but I so appreciate you taking the time to be with us in our community today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Yasmin. It's been a pleasure. Really good to connect. I love your energy and thank you so much for getting this word out to women and helping them on their journey. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.